You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard Podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. Well, uh, guys, good morning. I just, uh, I'm Paul, for those of you that are new in the room. I just wanted to start by saying something. I, I kind of had a sense this morning. I want to ask some of you just to take a step forward. I don't mean physically, uh, but I, I mean spiritually. I think uh, we, we often say that there's, there's the power of God is in the presence of God, and it is. And you will have known and sensed the power of God in his presence this morning in worship. And for some of you, as you're exploring who Jesus is, I think it can be helpful just to have a moment and a marker where you make a decision to follow him. And the Bible says if you, if you believe in your heart and confess with your lips that Jesus Christ is Lord, then, then, then you're saved. And I, I want to ask you to do something quite brave and, 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 and spiritually just take a step forward this morning. Take, make a moment to, to do the greatest thing that you'll ever do, and we'll stand alongside you and, and celebrate. So at the end, I just say that as a number of people respond to various things, I want to encourage some of you to, to have the moment of a marker of making a decision to, to follow Jesus. And um, also, to, to some others of you, I just want to say uh, Alpha starts on Tuesday. Abby mentioned it. It's phenomenal what is currently happening. The amount of people who are exploring Jesus uh, in us as a community and the wider community is, is quite something. Uh, one of the logistical challenges that the team are facing is being able to get people there who don't have cars. Uh, they're sorting lifts out and all sorts. But I realize some of you are on teams, some of you are joining teams. What a phenomenal thing it would be to have a team of people that help people get to Alpha. So you might be able to offer that as a lift. Of course, we're, we're going to get them there, whatever. We're going to get taxes and all sorts. But wouldn't it be amazing that they get a pre-conversation on the way of just a relationship with, with one of you? So if you're able to do that, I think the, the welcome team knew I was going to mention that. Could you offer that service to them? So I think it's an, uh, about six weeks over a Tuesday night, if you'd be willing just to help people. How, I mean, why, almost why would we not? Would you be willing to help people come to know Jesus? Uh, what a phenomenal privilege it is to serve in that way. But this morning, I want to um, just continue a series I've been doing called The Empowered Church. We don't just want to talk about being church. We want to equip people to live it out and to live it out with power. And healthy things grow. And as a church, as we're growing, um, we need to continually remind ourselves of who we are and what we're about and how we live in and under the power and authority that is intended for us. And an important foundational building block for us in that and the understanding of that is fasting. Now, some of you, as I said that, I know your hearts just sank because basically two things happen. We put it firstly in the, in the category of like the spiritual elite. You know, it's for like the holier than thou. It's not for the general mass of us. And then secondly, this is probably more me and I don't want to just project this onto you. You slightly panic because I often carry around food for our kids literally everywhere we go because they're hungry at any point but I also carry food for them because it's quite a good excuse for me to carry food for me because I, I love I love to eat and I often I have little but often and um, I would I would joke regularly that I fast between meals um, because fasting's hard because I quite like eating but um, 
What's fasting got to do with, with spiritual power? Fasting is continually and consistently portrayed in the Bible as one of the primary ways that we seek God and his blessing and the blessing for all that he has promised for us. So when someone asks about the relationship between fasting and spiritual gifts, I'd often direct their attention to 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1, in which Paul says we seek or we pursue spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. You see, fasting is pursuit Fasting is spiritual seeking. Fasting is asking with quite an extraordinary intensity and passion. Let me, let me though just firstly almost set the record straight about fasting. Because actually fasting is not primarily about eating of a sort. Fasting is about feasting on God. So it is, it is all about eating because it's not about the physical eating, it's about the, fast, the feasting on God. It's drawing deeply upon the presence of God. It's drawing deeply upon the power of God and it's about gazing upon his beauty and trusting that he will do for us what we cannot even remotely or nearly do on our own. And the reason we don't eat is to help us focus our energy on, on, the, on the power that actually comes from God. Dallas Willard once said it like this, fasting is indeed actually feasting. When we have learned well to fast, we will not suffer from it. It will bring a great strength and joy. You see, we gain power from fasting. Fasting is not actually about denying yourself necessarily. It's actually about satisfying yourself in God. And so fasting isn't about, as sometimes can be seen and misconstrued, about like all this physical pain. It's actually about spiritual pleasure. And fasting is, you could almost say it's like the first cousin to prayer in the sense that together they're ordained means by which God is pleased to give us the thing that actually we need. Now I realize that nothing seems sometimes for some of us as silly to our natural minds or as repulsive maybe to our bodies, especially in the light of the culture in which we live, which is instant gratification in quite a consumer-orientated world, where, where life is almost all about seeking and obtaining whatever we want or whatever we fancy. Waiting for anything in our day and age seems incredibly hard work because waiting is just not what our culture does. Waiting for food, therefore, is torture. torture. And fasting to our culture, I would say, actually makes very little sense at all. You chat with some people, <laughs> what are you talking about? If God has also generously created food, which we see in 1 Timothy 4.3, it says this, God created those foods to be eaten with thanks by faithful people who know the truth. Since everything God created is good, we should not reject any of it, but receive it with thanks, for we know that it is made acceptable by the word of God and prayer. So therefore, whatever or why ever is there a reason that we should go through some kind of self-denial? For some people, that also is something that just seems reserved for slightly weird people. I'm saying it quite starkly because I believe that's the view some people hold. It's like, oh, that's an odd thing to do. At worst, it could be seen as like, why would you actually 
almost self-inflict pain upon yourself. I realize I'm being a bit extreme. I realize I'm potentially even been slightly offensive in wording it that way. But actually, I don't think I am because in centuries past, in times before us, fasting was often subjected to this religious rigid regulation. And that was combined with some extreme forms of self-mortification and self-denial. So little wonder that fasting sometimes has seemed to contribute to this holier-than-thou mentality that some hold it to have, and therefore we should avoid it at all costs. Because in the minds of many, fasting becomes inseparable from this showy, slightly flashy, self-righteous mindset. And as is often the case and has been the case over previous things we've looked at in the last few weeks, we have to be so careful that previous extremes and excesses don't cause us to throw out the things that God encourages to do. Because fasting is not a hunger strike. You know, it's not the purpose of something to stir up or gain some kind of political power or to gain a, or, or draw attention to some kind of social cause. Fasting is not like a health dieting, which we would avoid certain foods for, for some kind of physical reason. You know, it's not like, oh, you've got to drop the five guys just so that you can have the beach body ready for your holiday. So what, what is it? What does the Bible say about fasting? Let's just have a quick look at a few things that I think it says quite clearly. Firstly is this, I think fasting is motivated by a deeper desire. Without doubt, there is a measure of physical pain and inconvenience if you like to eat and you like to eat often. But it's not about the suppression of a desire. It's more about the intense pursuit of it instead. We fast because we want something more than food or the activity from which we might deny ourselves. We say no to food or certain conveniences for a reason only to fill ourselves with something far more tasty, something far more filling, and something far more satisfying. If one suppresses the desire for food, it's actually only because he or she has a greater and more intense desire for something more precious, something of eternal value. And therefore, I say without apology that actually fasting really should be seen as feasting because it's about feeding ourselves on the fullness and all that is secured for us in Jesus. Fasting softens our hearts to experience the presence of God and it expands the capacity of our souls to hear his voice and to be assured of his love and to be filled with the fullness of joy. What you, you don't eat and actually how long you don't eat for or whatever activity it might be that you deny yourself of isn't actually the predominant thing or even the focus. What you do eat, spiritually speaking, is critical. We want to be people that feed on God, that we don't simply taste, we don't simply nibble, we don't simply snack, actually. We learn what it is to really feast on him and seek him. Just... Practically, I would also say part of this is just a time issue. If you take something like eating out of your calendar or your rhythm of life, it frees up a significant amount of time to cry out to God, to focus on him 
and to worship him. And we invite him to fill us up in new ways, in new measures. That's kind of how Ephesians 3:19 says this, may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand, then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. We lay open our heart before the Lord. And we say, we long for more of you. Would you search us? Would you stretch us? Psalm 139, verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. I think that verse in itself, but so often, this is almost like a repentance thing. Point out in me anything that offends you O Lord, when do, when do we last ask God that? To point out the stuff in me that is offensive to you that I might deal with it. This is about feasting ourselves on the Lord and seeking more of him. This, this one, some of you will love this. This one kind of makes me laugh. This way my mind's wired. But John 4.32, Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Okay, park that in your mind. This is what the disciples say. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. I see so much of myself in their way of living. Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. Jesus is talking about a kind of spiritual food and nourishment that comes from seeking him. I love how the disciples are thinking. They're like, hang on, is, is he like having some kind of secret snacking that we're not aware of? Jesus is telling them, he's, he's telling us he's sustained by the strength of the Father. We're, we're driven to fast by pleasure and delight of something far more than food. I've, I, I love barbecuing, literally I love it. That's, it's got nothing on this. This isn't like some kind of, oh, Jesus has snacked. Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. Fasting teaches us this deep, deep, deep dependency on him alone. That's, that's the first thing. The second thing is this. Fasting is not something you do for God, but it is a longing for God in grace and power to do everything for you. Fasting is not like an act of impressive willpower. It, it, it's a declaration, actually, of our weakness. It's a confession of our utter dependence on God and his grace. Our desire for spiritual gifts, our a desire for the power of God to move in us and among us must always be driven by the urgency in us to help others in ways that we could never achieve. I, I, I find myself saying it so often. I, I can't actually help you. You, you. you will have struggles and challenges in life, and I long to help you, but I can't. I can't solve your problems. I can't lift your burdens. I can't do any of those things, but I know somebody who can. And honestly, would it always be that we prefer and defer to him? Fasting is not a statement that food or other things somehow are bad, but actually that God is better. In other words, fasting isn't a rejection of the many blessings that God has given us, but it's an affirmation that in the ultimate sense, we prefer the giver than the gifts. Fasting is a de declaration that God is enough. And the danger with anything 
is that we start to somehow make it about a person. We make it about a personality. We make it about our gifts. We make it about what we can do or how we can do it, what we can bring, what we can offer. We need to make it solely about Jesus. And to do that, we have to earnestly, desperately seek him rather than us. And that means intentionally stripping some things off. It means in a, in a time and a culture that wants it now, discipleship takes time and it takes commitment. And this is realigning and refocusing us on that. The third thing is this, fasting is not a statement that food or, or, or things are bad, but God is better. I know I've said that, but I want to say it and I want to say it again, because in, in other words, fasting just isn't this rejection of the many things that God gives us, it's the affirmation and the sense that we prefer him. I want to say to him, God, you are my everything. Fasting helps us in, in taking something that is, heart, in, is, is head knowledge and making it heart knowledge. So often we have this, this thought process that runs around in our minds of this is how I relate to God, but we've got to get it into our heart. God is my everything. I have nothing else. I stand before you this morning, I say that genuinely. I, all I have to offer you is Jesus. I don't want to offer you anything of me. And fasting is part of helping us take that from head knowledge to heart knowledge. Where does our happiness come from? Where does our fulfillment and satisfaction come from? Where, where, where do we find our peace that is beyond a worldly peace? In a moment of today in society in this rapid, ever-changing fluctuations, where do you find your hope? I don't, I don't find it in politics. I don't find it in society. I don't find it in my life status or position. I don't find it in family life. I find it in Jesus and Jesus alone. Where do you find your hope and your strength, courage and faith? Honestly, it all comes from him. It comes through him. And we have to continually, committedly remind ourselves and refresh ourselves in that and strengthen ourselves in that and in the knowledge that God is better. The fourth thing, fasting should be motivated by the desire to glorify God. It's crucial to understand the, the quite profound difference between being seen fasting and fasting to be seen. In, in, in Acts 13, verse 1 to 3, the believers, the, sorry, the believers in Antioch, they fasted together as a group. Clearly, they didn't believe that Jesus' warning about fasting to be seen by men in, in, in Matthew 6 prevented corporate fasting. When you fast as a group, it's kind of obvious others are going to know about it, but there's evidently something that isn't actually against Jesus' teaching. The church leaders at Antioch didn't take Jesus to mean that we somehow sin if someone knows that we're fasting, but that we sin if our motive is to be known for our fasting so that someone might somehow think we're great or impressive. What then is the reward that God promises to give if our motive is to be seen only by him and to be done, this thing to be done in secret? Well, it says this, Matthew 6, 18 then no one will notice that you're fasting except your father who knows what you do in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. Have you ever clocked onto that little bit, that, that, that part of this passage, he will reward you. 
God sees fasting and he knows that we're motivated by this deep longing in our hearts for him and for his purposes to be filled on earth. He knows that we're not fasting to obtain some kind of approval of people. And he sees that uh, we're, we're not acting out of strength to impress others with our own discipline or even out of a desire to influence or to imitate somebody else. But that we've come to God out of weakness to express our desperation and longing and need for him. And that our longing, and in that, he would manifest himself more fully in our lives. And that the joy of our soul and the glory of his name would be established and strengthened in us. And when he sees this, he responds. And what does he do? He responds by giving us more of himself and the fullness of all that we find. Jesus rewards us by answering the prayers that we pray. Matthew 6, 9 to 13, that his name would be hallowed, that his kingdom would come here on earth as it is in heaven. Surely God can and does give us things that we seek through, through fasting, be that spiritual gift, physical healing, guidance, whatever it might be. But dominant among the, mongs, among the results of fasting is the exaltation of God's name and the expansion of his kingdom. This isn't a thing that is for us. This is about us finding more of him and glorifying him. The fifth thing is this. Fasting opens our spiritual ears to discern God's voice and to soften our hearts to enjoy his presence. You see, the, the, the gentle words of the Spirit are more readily heard in times of fasting. God often grants insights and understanding into his will and purposes and the way that we might live that out more fully in our lives. Acts um, 13, 1 to 3, we see Paul, uh, Saul, who, who became known as Paul and Barnabas, together with the church leaders at Antioch, seeking the direction of the Lord as to where they should go as a church in terms of ministry. I, I think it's one of the most profound passages you can reflect on because their desperation to hear God's voice and to follow God's example will, will, will find no more appropriate expression than through bodily denial. And they turned away from the physical dependence of food and they cast themselves onto the spiritual dependence of God. And it says this in verse 2, one day as the men were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, dedicate Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I've called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. Fasting became the occasion for the Spirit's guidance to be communicated to them. We, I don't want to miss the obvious casual link, actually, that Luke draws, because it was while or when or even because they were ministering to the Lord and fasting that the Holy Spirit spoke. I'm, I'm not suggesting that somehow fasting puts us in, in God in our debt as if it compels him to respond to us, but God does promise to be found by those that diligently seek him with all of their heart. 
Jeremiah 29, verse 12, in those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me and I'll be found by you, says the Lord. People who are merely open to God rarely find him, but God postures himself to be found by those that wholeheartedly seek him. And fasting is a single-minded pursuit to know, to hear, and to experience God. If you don't want to play lip service for what God has for you, because I honestly don't, I don't want to play it for for you, for this church, for this city. I want to see and know and experience the fullness of it. And if we're going to have the fullness, we're going to have to be desperate. We're going to have to be fully reliant. We're going to have to be people that have no plan B, no backup and no safety net. We, we kind of can't have the mindset of, oh, actually, it'd be more comfortable if I didn't, or, oh, I might look a bit silly if I took that risk. There can be this tendency often for us to want to play it cool. It kind of looks better if I'm half-hearted, or, you know, it's easier for me if I'm a bit non-committal, and, you know, I don't want to be seen as, like, the, the, the spiritual kino. I've probably just coined a new phrase there but we are we're, we're, we're don't quote that we're, we're like seeking something of the fullness of the presence of God and I just want us to have a moment where we just understand the holiness of that and the reverence of that and the significance of that to seek his face to be surrounded by his glory to have his manifest presence among us because in that presence is his power and we saw that And we felt that and we experienced that as we worship him. But what God said to them in the course of their fasting in Acts 13 changed the course of history. This revelatory word that was spoken in a moment of spiritual hunger for God's voice to fill the void left by human wisdom, the results were both immediate and long-term. And they're stunning. For prior to that incident, the church had kind of progressed little, actually hardly at all beyond the eastern sea coast of the Mediterranean. And, and, and Paul had not yet taken missionary journeys westward to Asia Minor, Greece, Rome, and Spain. And neither had he written any of the epistles. And all of his letters were the results of his missionary journeys that he was to take and the churches that he was to plant. This occasion of them praying and fasting was a birthing moment of Paul's missionary journeys, and it led to the the writing of 13 New Testament books. We deeply desire for God to move, as we sang this morning, in our time, in our day, in our city, in our neighborhoods, on our streets. And he always does it first as our hearts start to be postured towards him. It's not about missing the odd burger or like having this, oh, I feel slightly hungry, self-denial thing. I'm talking about deeply desiring the manifest presence of God and putting nothing and no one before it. And I guess my question to you personally and individually is, are you in for that? Is that what we're longing for? The final thing is this, fasting is a powerful weapon in spiritual warfare. Matthew 4, verses 1 to 11. I'm not going to read it because of time, but Jesus fasted 
to prepare for resisting the temptations of Satan. You know, fasting heightens our complete dependence on God and forces us, it forces us to draw on him and his power and to believe fully in his strength. That kind of explains why Jesus fasted at the beginning of his ministry. It's important to note that as Jesus was standing on the brink of, of, of the most important public ministry the world has ever seen, what did he do? He chose to fast. Have you, have you ever reflected on the eternal consequences of what transcribed, so it transpired in the, in the wilderness of Judea for those 40 days? Heaven and hell, you could say, hung in the balance. Had Jesus wavered? Had he faltered? Has he, had, he, had he hesitated? All hope of heaven would have been dashed on the very rocks with which the enemy was trying to tempt him. And of the countless things that Jesus could have done, or maybe we now think could have or should have done, or what we think might have been the priorities for Jesus to have done to withstand temptation, who would have seen, who would have thought that being led by the Spirit to fast would be one of them? I just want to draw our eyes to the significance of that, because if we are even slightly inclined to dismiss the importance of fasting, I think we'd do well to remember that incident and the very real sense that our salvation is almost due to the fact that Jesus fasted. You may be wondering, are, are, we, are, we, are we commanded to fast? Am I in sin if I choose not to fast? Well, no, but the Bible assumes that you will fast. According to Matthew 6, 16, Jesus almost simply takes it to gra for granted, twice saying, when you fast. Therefore, although Jesus doesn't say, if you fast, neither does he actually say, you must fast. He simply says, when you fast. Mark 2, we see exactly the same emphasis when the Pharisees queried kind of why Jesus' disciples didn't fast, and he explained to them in terms of his own physical presence being on earth at that time. He said the days will come, he said, when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and they will fast in that day. Mark 2, verse 18. Once when John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, some people came to Jesus and asked, why don't your disciples fast like John's disciples and the Pharisees do? Jesus replied, do wedding guests fast while the bridegroom, while celebrating with the bridegroom? Of course not. They can't fast while the bridegroom is with them. But someday the groom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. And the, the point here is really this, that the Messiah has come like a bridegroom to a wedding feast. And such a moment is too joyful, it's too stunning and too exciting to, to, to mingle that with fasting. Groomsmen don't fast at the stag party. The rehearsal dinner isn't the place to be sad. But Jesus, because Jesus was present, the time for celebration is upon them. But when the wedding feast is over and the bridegroom has departed, that's when we fast. And we are in a time and a season of fasting so that actually we can be people that are feasting. And we need to understand the importance of that weapon that Jesus kind of assumes we will be using that is at our disposal. I just want to kind of round that off 
by just sharing a few things that I think would be helpful quite practically for some of you. I'm not trying to discourage the fasting of food, but I also wanted to say that is not the only thing that you can fast. And I realize for some of you that may be revelatory to you. We shouldn't feel pressure just to do what others are doing, and neither should we pressurize others to do what we might be doing or to judge others for it. But honestly, this, 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 this kind of thinking is actually a really big deal because I think fasting is often so susceptible to legalism. We've really got to guard our hearts on this one. We want to be a people that follow the prompting and the leading of the Holy Spirit and our consciences alongside that. And by giving you a few examples of what you might do, this this can almost quickly get quite religious and legalistic. Equally, a number of you, I think it is helpful you do know it because you need to be more fully equipped to understand and to step into it. So fasting, food and drink is often the most popular almost biblical expression of fasting. It too comes in a variety of different forms. You may choose to fast from caffeine or wine or beer or something like that. You may choose to fast from sugar or some sort of food that is a regular, even daily part of your diet. Perhaps you choose only to eat fruit or vegetables for the length of the fast, remaining from eating meat or or vice versa. But in, in, in the case of the former, sorry, both the, the former two forms of, of fasting, you, you would often continue to eat and drink over, or just to maintain your body's strength. I'm not saying you have to. I just want to say that for some of you, you really need to think about that. And not eating can actually have a significant impact on your body. If you haven't fasted before, I just want to say, don't, don't rush into this, go home and suddenly don't eat for two weeks. Um, some people too do like a five-day fast of no food. Um, that can be quite dangerous just to jump into. Some often would just skip a meal, skip a meal each day for a week, and some would then give the money that they would save by doing that away to the poor. Again, I'm not saying that's what you have to do. I just think they're helpful reflections to have that we're feasting ourselves on the Lord. And as we do, it stirs something in us that is the overflow of what his heart is. Again, this isn't so much about denying yourself food. This isn't about dieting. This is seeking the face of God and not just his hand. And there's different degrees of fasting that you can find and see in the Bible. There's the fast that many would be familiar with. Let's just call that the regular fast because I couldn't come up with a better word. But what, what that is, is really going without food and drink except for water. Matthew chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, they, they kind of cover an explanation of what that is. A particular fast is a phrase that is often used when somebody might go without a kind of food, as in the case of Daniel while he was in Babylon, Daniel 10 and uh, yeah, chapter 10, verse 3, I won't go into it. A liquid fast is when people go without solid foods. Most people choose to do it and then sustained by other things like a fruit juice or, or stuff like that. A complete or absolute fast would be to go without any kind of food or any kind of liquid. You can see it in Ezra 10, Esther 4, and Acts 9. I, I just want to say again, I don't want to like patronize you or um, force you to have my way of thinking. Honestly, I think that should be a short period of time. 
uh, it can be quite dangerous to you physically to, to do that. Um, there's also what is sometimes called the supernatural fast, as in the case of Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 9. He went without both food and water for 40 days, enabling him to do so only by the miraculous provision enabled by God. Again, I, I do have faith and I stand in faith, but I think just to jump into that without any kind of medical wisdom, uh, that shouldn't be done lightly. But you may wish to, to fast from all food or a particular meal each day. In other words, you may choose just to skip lunch for a day or, you know, a day for the period of a week or even dinner or even breakfast. If you've never fasted before, be aware that in the early stages, you can often feel a bit dizzy and have headaches. That's often part of just your body's cleansing and that sometimes does pass with the passage of time. But please also make sure you, I realize I'm being very practical, but I hope that's helpful for some of you. When you break your fast, don't overeat. That can be the temptation of like, oh, I've gone without food for a long time. Hopefully you almost don't even have the sensation of fully going without food after time because you've found yourself sustained by God. But certain foods after a fast can be remarkably appealing, but you can also hit your body incredibly hard if you go straight for a curry. Um, but how long you fast, I want to say this is, is kind of up to you in the leadership of the Holy Spirit be sensitive to that. The Bible gives so many examples of fast that lasted for a day or part of a day, Judges 20, 1 Samuel 7, 2 Samuel 1, Nehemiah 9. There's then also those that just lasted for a night in Daniel 6. There's three days of fast, which is Esther 4. I often think the one, the one night fast that Daniel did in Daniel 6 can be appealing if you see it as just a denial of food, because I don't normally eat a meal in the night. So you're like, should I just deny myself? That's not the purpose. We're not trying to find a way out of it or like a religious way of doing it. We want to be people that learn to feast ourselves on the Lord. There's a 21-day fast in Daniel 10. There's a 40-day fast that I mentioned in Deuteronomy 9 and 1 Kings 19. And, and, and fasts of unspecified lengths. You see it in Matthew 9, Luke 2, and Acts 13. But also, just to move it on from food, some of you will choose to fast other things. I give you a few reflections. It might be a form of technology, TV, Facebook, Twitter, email, Instagram. Again, all of them may not be a total fast. For some of you, it might just be a partial or some aspect of it. I've just found recently, I'd say I've found, I don't, you've probably all known about this for years, but with, with focuses on the iPhone, I've recently set it up so that I don't get bombarded by things after a certain time in the evening. I just actually switch my mind off for certain hours of the evening. Now, I, I want to be quite clear. I found that's given me headspace that actually often I was robbed of, but I've not seen it as fasting. I've just seen that as having a healthy way of living and a balanced lifestyle. It's certainly helped me be more present with God and, and have more time and attention with him. Equally, my motive wasn't actually to do that. It was more life balance. So some of you, as you withdraw for things, that we don't need to see it as like a religious, I'm just trying to fast here. It's like, actually, how are you gonna, how are you gonna stir yourselves and find ways to feast on God? Some choose to withdraw from a certain activity that's become a part, regular part or rhythm of their lives, such as you know some kind of sporting event or um, social gathering routine, whatever that might be. Again, I'd say don't avoid small group. Of course, I'd say that, but I think it's important. But what is of crucial importance 
in both or any of those kind of understanding or reflections on fasting, that you're not simply refraining from something, but that you feel the time, the energy, the space that it's created that otherwise you wouldn't have had. You fill it with prayer, with Bible reading, with worship, and with living out your faith. The, the danger with all of this is that somehow we make it some kind of um, practice of denial, or we make it some kind of practice of like beating ourselves into submission rather than actually the pursuit of God and the release of his presence. And I, I just wanted to make that clear. And also that I think it's important to remember that some people, and you'll be in this room and therefore you'll have found this conversation particularly hard, you, you have to refrain from much of this because your diet and your dietary requirements and your health do not allow you to adjust what you eat or how you drink. Not just because you're like me and you love snacking, but actually there's, some kind of, there's, a, there's a medical thing there. And there may be certain types of medicine that you can't stop taking, and it's really important that you, you don't stop taking it. If, if that's you, I guess I just want to say that don't, don't change something that is dangerous. There's nothing to be ashamed of because you can't feast in regard to food and drink. Simply choose to do it in another way. And I know many of you have and many of you do. I remember a number of years ago now, I was, I was gluten-free for three years. And it was in, in a time and a season where kind of nobody else really was. It wasn't even a thing like it is now. And there was no alternative. And when we came to take in the Lord's Supper, there was no alternative. And somebody said to me, you just need to have faith that the bit of bread you eat will not harm your body. And I found that a deeply, deeply uncomfortable comment that actually wounded me for quite a while because I felt like I was being almost denied access to something of the presence of God in what is a family meal and a family moment. And it became a spiritual barrier. I don't say that because in any way that's burdening me or I hold a grudge or, or that kind of thing. But I, I guess I want to say, don't let your inability to do something rob you of actually what God might have for you. This isn't about food and drink in any way. If that's what you've heard today, that's not what I'm trying to say. This is about heart and desire and seeking after his presence because God postures himself to be found by those that wholeheartedly seek him. And fasting is a single-minded pursuit to know, to hear, and to experience God. And I personally, I don't want to play lip service to what God has for me, for you, for this church, and for this city. We want to see and we want to step into the fullness of it. And to do that, we have to posture ourselves in desperation and longing for more of him. Why don't we stand together? Let's just make some space now to um, respond. We love to welcome the Holy Spirit. We love to, to dwell in his presence. We love to be stirred and changed by him. So we're going to do that now. Why don't you just keep your eyes closed if you feel comfortable doing that. We're just going to open ourselves up to what the Holy Spirit might want to do among us.
He'll have no doubt been stirring a number of you already from before you even arrived here, perhaps during worship, during the talk. His divine hand is always at work. Often behind the scenes and often before we even know it. But let's open our hearts this morning to respond to him. Ask him perhaps in your mind, Holy Spirit, what is it that you're doing in me right now? How can I respond? Perhaps you're here this morning and you feel quite sure, actually, that you know you're holding back. You're holding on to something that you feel God's prompting you to let go of, or you're holding back from stepping into something that he is calling you into. I also wonder whether there's possibly within that like a a cynicism that you're sort of holding on to it's like it, it's actually kind of slipping away because the more you see Jesus the more you're realizing mm, I don't need that I don't need to be cynical but it's almost like you're holding on to it um, and I think there's an invitation this morning to just let it all drop at the foot of the cross come before God again and allow him to mold you thank you God Don't be distracted by anyone else. Let's just rest in the Lord. I, I kind of had the sense, I don't know if you've ever been for an eye test, and sometimes they, they blow like a puff of air into your eye to cause you to rapidly, I guess, rapidly open it. I just felt for some of you, it's like there's an eye open moment this morning. He just wants to quite quickly cause you to see more than you've already seen. Uh, I, I felt there was maybe a number of people in the room actually, where you've got something missing uh, physically. It's almost like, oh, you can't this because of that. And I, I just felt there's a real stirring of faith for that to be recreated, to be re, reborn. I felt as well, um, there's somebody on your, on your left hand, your, your little finger uh, right at the end is, is a, uh, like it's, it's a continual pain and a numbness and uh, also it might be the same person but slightly further down that uh, left finger down the side as you move towards the wrist you've just been in a it's like it has a throbbing pain and it's uncomfortable I felt as well that there was someone with um, I think it's in your in your legs. You just like regularly got like muscle pain. Is is like this constant ache, and also just sensed quite strongly. I think the Lord just wants to deposit in some of you hope. It's like you you have a you you have a missing or a robbed hope. 
I also think there may be someone here this morning who has um, like a, a restriction, a tightness, um, either in the chest or in the stomach, um, or maybe it's both or or two two different people. But yeah, real sense that there's someone that has a restriction. You can tell that it's like a tightness in in sort of the core of your being. So we're going to make some space now just to respond to, to God. So if, if you'd like to receive prayer, if there's anything that, um, yeah, you just would really value someone coming alongside you and, and, and praying with, with you for, why don't you come out now to, to the front? For some, for some of you, it's not even something that's mentioned. I just there's there's like a there's a longing to be in the presence of God and a heart posture of desperation this morning. I think there's an overflow of the and an outpouring of the Spirit just to bless you in that. I just reminded as well, I mentioned earlier, for some of you to give your life to Jesus for the first time. This is a, this is a beautiful moment to do that. I, sometimes you can almost feel a wrestle in your spirit for it, but I just encourage you to step out in faith for that. Come and let somebody stand alongside you and walk it out with you. There's a pack of resources we'd love to give to you to take a moment to celebrate alongside you. Thanks for listening. To find out more, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description.